Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, Meredith Oak, QBC co-founder and executive coach with a friendly reminder, podcasts are conversations, not consultations. Though, if you're looking for a practitioner, check out our directory at www.quantumbiologycollective.org. Sarah Turner has a postgraduate degree in clinical neuroscience and started her career working as a researcher for a major pharmaceutical company. But as she explains in this episode, her findings led her to more deeply explore the role of quantum physics in biology. Over years of research and interviewing luminaries in this emerging field, Sarah is tying all her experience together with a unique photobiomodulation, that's red light therapy, product that targets the gut-brain axis. Sarah is also the host of the Rebel Scientist podcast. We have a long and interesting conversation. Enjoy. Hello, Sarah Turner. Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast. It's great to see you. Thank you, Meredith. It's lovely to be here. All right. And Sarah is the host of the Rebel Scientist podcast, which is a fabulous podcast. I highly recommend it goes very well in this uh, in this quantum ecosystem. So, Sarah, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and how you came into this weird and wonderful yeah. <laughs> area of science and health. Yeah. So uh, actually, I started off in fairly orthodox uh, science. So uh, I start the first part of my career in pharmaceuticals. So I started, mm. I worked at Hoffman LaRoche and I also worked at Merck's. I worked at GlaxoSmithKline um, as a research scientist. So I was mainly in the latter part of that half of my career, I was looking at um, drug deposition in the lungs. Uh, wow, which, okay. which was very interesting. Yeah. And I got to be on what they call a task force, like someone mm -hmm. who's in the industry, like looking for problems and resolving them. And one of the problems was actually that the um, asthma inhalers were not working correctly for some people. And they wanted to find out why. And I was a member of this big task force. And we actually found out it was due to electrostatic buildup in the body. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, that was a very interesting time. But we kind of had, um, we resolved that issue and then we were looking at, okay, how can you resolve electrostatic in the body? And that's kind of what got me at least interested in how, you know, a lot of what's going on is to do with what's going on internally rather mm -hmm. than externally. You know, even something that you wouldn't expect, like the, the delivery of a drug. Right. You know, how you are internally will totally change your response to certain drugs. So, so that of kind course. yeah, that got me down a certain road, and and what I what a what a cool rabbit hole. Could you explain a little more about that, like what you what you mean by electrostatic buildup in the body, and then why that was affecting a person's asthma medication? Sure. So when when you use certain inhalers, you know, I'm talking about that. Like there's some with a disc, and it's plastic, and it's two pieces yes. of uh, foil yeah. that you kind of you open them up and you inhale the drug. Okay, so not the kind that's like a tube where you put a metal canister inside and then pump it? Potentially those ones, but okay. they weren't the ones I was testing. But yeah, okay. potentially. Anything where you've got like a, a layer of plastic. So you've got a layer of plastic against like maybe some metal container where you can potentially have uh, a charge build up because, you know, you've got I an see. insulator surrounding the metal. Okay. Um, and so they had me, you know, we were doing tests. And, and when they're testing these drugs, they have you know, substitute lungs. So basically it's a metal sieve where you would you would put the drug into the sieve and then you analyze exactly the deposition into various parts of the sieve, which represents the lung. And if you have a static charge buildup when you're handling these devices, so for example, they had me wearing rubber boots and kind of shuffling around to build up a static charge in my body, then discharging the canister and seeing where the, the drug deposits you have a different profile to if you're grounded. So for example, if I've got a grounding wire on, I'm attached to, you know, the electric output, I have like a, a lab coat with metal seams to allow mm -hmm. any charge to dissipate from my body. Then you have a different deposition profile. 
And actually, you know, when you're looking at things like these drugs, you need to get it into a certain layer of your lung because you're looking at what they call fine particle deposition. So Mm -hmm. how far down in the lung the drug is going to get makes a massive impact on the therapeutic effect. Okay. And the interesting thing was really a lot of these problems could be solved by just grounding. You know, a lot of problems that people have where they've got a a strange deposition profile in their lungs of these drugs could be resolved by grounding the person rather wow. than changing the plastic in the device, which is, of course, yeah. the workaround for the or drug. Or upping company. the dosage or whatever else people start messing around with. Exactly, exactly. And so for me, you know, yeah. kind of like, oh, I see. You know, really, this is a very simple problem that could be resolved by just changing the environment of the person. And we're not really educated in that, you know, something yeah. simple like how, and this is not just drugs, you know, this is also deposition of particles outside. This is... How we're relating to our environment depends on, you know, how are our bodies doing physiologically? And if you are indoors all day, kind of shuffling around on your carpet, not getting outside, not doing the grounding, your body is responding very differently to those environmental particles. Not only, you know, if you are then taking medication, how your body's responding to that medication. So to me, it's like, I see, I see how you could probably help a lot of people with asthma, (laughs) Yeah. Straight away, you know, without having to up the Yeah, that to me is like huge. Yeah. It's huge, but it's obviously not something that the drug companies want here because that's not their business. You know, their business right. is making the drug. And I'm not I'm not big pharma bashing, but that that just is their business. Yes. Uh, so I left. So just out of curiosity, how did they reconcile this finding? Like, did did they recommend to people? ways to be grounded just to improve the efficacy of their product or did they well no no because no. you know like I say they're a company that that's their business is making the drug so they changed the they changed the plastics on the inhaler so that they you didn't get the buildup of the charge you know that's kind of problem solved on their end and, and you know I, okay. I did you so know they solved the problem but they just didn't do it in a way that actually explained it to people. They just fixed their product. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what they do. You know, like I say, yeah. they're, they're kind of not in the industry of wellness communication. I suppose yes. they're in the industry. No, for sure. If there is a solution on the product end, I could totally see why they would why they would choose that one. But I also understand how this research led you yes. <laughs> down a quantum rabbit hole. It led me down a rabbit hole to kind of, t- so I actually, when I left the drug company, I actually trained to be a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. But again, that didn't go so far because nutrition I found was actually quite limited too. Yeah. So uh, then I kind of looked at neuroscience. So it kind of set me you know, that whole, it set me down looking at various things to do right. with a more holistic approach to health. And what, what did you find when you studied neuroscience? Like sort of what were your, where did that lead? Um, well, the neuroscience piece, again, that was very interesting because I became more and more convinced that, you know, that it's how you're thinking about things that's having the biggest impact on your health. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, but the but the neuroscience masters, obviously it's more about the structure of the brain and how things yeah. are working in the brain. And it kind of gives you an idea of things a while ago now. And a lot, I certainly wasn't told any of the quantum biology stuff that, you know, we've been talking about and that you share on your collective. But there were certain things there to do with like immunity in the brain. You know, how mm-hmm. does the immune system impact the brain? How does the endocannabinoid system, for example, segue with the brain and and the peripheral nervous system so I learned a lot there again about a more holistic approach to health that includes all of the different body systems and how that specifically relates to what's going on in the brain right yeah okay so your background what did you study originally that led you into the pharma job that was biology actually biology okay so biology then yeah. nutrition. That's is quite a stack that yeah. you've got. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So biology, then nutrition, then neuroscience. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So then when did the when did the light piece come in to every come into your work? So or or how? Yeah, it did. So after I'd done the nutrition, I actually moved to California uh, and I was working for a company that was we were doing some very kind of far out uh, research looking at 
quantum consciousness interface devices, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's really looking at how your intention can potentially affect things like a random event generator in a computer system. So I was working for a company looking at potentially how could you affect a random event generator in a computer and could you use that as some kind of diagnostic And then after you've looked at that as a diagnostic, could you then make uh, remedies based on that pure information, information on medicine? Okay, okay. I have more questions. (laughs) Okay, so I understand understand the intention and how you could measure how that would affect a random event generator to see if a person's holding an intention could have an effect Mm -hmm. in the material world. I'm explain a little more about the diet using it as a diagnostic tool. Um, well, th- this was um, this was a guy called Peter Fraser who had invented this uh, way of representing the body as information structures in space, and okay. then putting those inside a computer system, each of which kind of has a weighted measure against your uh, ability to skew randomness. So again, like I say, it, it was mm. a fairly out there concept, but yeah. It, it was quite interesting and it led me to a lot of very interesting people in the field who were doing these experiments looking at intentional fields and yeah. the ability of consciousness to affect our external environment. And and I was there for quite a long time and during that time I was involved in the making of a few movies. Um which ones? along with uh, one called The Living Matrix. Okay. Um one uh, called yes. Supercharged Movie. It's myself and my uh, at the time, uh, Harry Massey was the guy who was looking at these devices that, that were a diagnostic yeah. and then a solution. And then we also made a film together called Supercharged Movie, which was about how, obviously, charge, you know, what's the effect of charge in the body? And we got to interview some really cool people like Jerry Pollock, Luc Montagnier, May Wan Oh, Hull. wow. All the greats. Yeah, all the greats. So, yeah. So the, the one before The Living Matrix was more about James Oshman's con- – uh, mm-hmm. his idea was that the fascia was the living matrix, like a right. semiconducting crystalline structure in the body. Mm-hmm. I think now that's a little bit been superseded by more of the Pollock's work about how, you know, you need – it needs to be a hydrated collagen network yes. in the body. But at the time yes. – it, It's it like was, there's – the Oshman and the Pollock work has kind of come together. Yeah. To form an and the next level. Okay. That's right. So that's kind of the next level. But at the time, I mean, I'm, I'm probably yeah. talking 20 years ago, maybe, uh, maybe at least 15, uh, 15 years, you know, the whole mm-hmm. concept of the living matrix was fairly new and, you yes. know, like Lynn McTaggart and the field. Yeah. Greg Braid and, you know, all of those guys. Oh, I love this. I was reading all their stuff this whole time. I've probably seen that movie. For people have. who'd like to 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 watch it, where is it available? Where are these films available right now? I'm sure they're are on they Gaia. On, I'm sure they're on Gaia. On Gaia. Yeah, um, that's the probably where I saw on Amazon, them. But um, yeah, y- people can probably find it with an internet. Okay, set. that's so cool. I didn't realize that you had interviewed all of these people who are yeah quite foundational to this idea of yeah the our quantum existence. I did. I really had access quite early on to a lot Mm -hmm. of these people and people who are unfortunately no longer around, you know, like I was very lucky to spend time with Mei Wan Ho. uh, Really? Yeah. Well, she lived in North London, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of near me. Yeah. Uh, So I got to interview her, you know, people like Fritz Albert Pop. What was Mei Wan Ho like? Fabulous. Yeah, really fabulous, fabulous lady. It was difficult to get her to come down. You know, she was very much, you know, absorbed in her work. Yes. You know? So it yes. was a bit like Jack Cruz. You really had to concentrate hard and kind of take your notes and do your homework. Mm-hmm. But a really, really fabulous lady. And she was also a, a great artist. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. So she had a studio out the back and she would kind of do her, her art there. And um, yeah. But I mean, her books are great. If people haven't read her yes. books, I mean, actually, I've just come to my friend's house and I've got a little stack of books in. I've just seen that I've got Living Rainbow H2O down there that I intend to. Oh, read. lovely. Do you want to hold it up for people? Uh, yeah, sure. People who want to track okay. it down. Wonderful. Okay. So we've been talking about some of the um, the thinkers and the researchers who really laid the foundation for what we would what we are now calling applied quantum biology. So we there's Gilbert Ling is you know, one of the 
one of the first. And then there's you mentioned Pollock and Mae Ho and Oshman and Becker. So while we're here talking about those people, could you sort of explain how you see it? Of, of Well, I'll see how I say it. How I see it is that each of these people made a huge contribution to totally changing how we understand and to bringing us into a quantum paradigm. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a framework necessarily to to unite all of this new information. Yes. And to me, it was like Khalili and McFadden when they figured out the mechanism of quantum processes in living systems with their book, The Coming Age of Life on the Edge, The Coming Age mm-hmm. of Quantum Biology. Um, and then to me, my take sort of, and I'd love to hear yours, is that it was probably Dr. Cruz who then took that step and applied it to like human health and what does it mean for our bodies and on a practical level because from for the most part these people don't actually break down their work into okay here's what you should be doing (laughs) practically on a day-to-day basis and that's sort of yeah what the quantum biology collective is trying to look looks at is like okay so we have all of this amazing research and information but what does that mean like what should I (laughs) for my health and what choices I need to be making. Yeah, and I think that's partly due to a lot of these researchers were not doctors or clinicians. You know, a lot of the researchers that we're talking about were academics or physicists even. You know, so for, you know, a physicist like Jim Al-Khalili is not going to kind of really say anything about what's going on in the body because it's just not his place and obviously he's tied to a university and he can't go saying things that he can't back up. And so I think, yeah, Dr. Jack Cruz was hugely important in bringing it down to how people could actually implement in their, in their lives, because he's a doc, you know, he is a medical doctor. And so, you know, he can make, make that bridge because I think it's rare to, you know, have all of those skills together because you really have to have that understanding of physicists of physics and it's mainly physicists that have it, you know, and so yes. they're not then uh, they're not then making that leap to apply it to biology. So this whole right. thing of biophysics, you know, it's it is fairly new. And someone like you know, like Dr. May Wan Ho, yeah, she was definitely making those connections. And she actually wrote some great books, not just this one I held up, but she wrote books on AIDS, on viruses, on societies and how they could be sustainable but it wasn't Mm. so consumable because it was fairly high level and a lot of it was controversial you mean a lot of her stuff on AIDS was very controversial but Dr Jack Cruz I think definitely came at the right time where people needed to be able to relate it to what they were actually doing so I actually credit him for a lot of my learning and interest and wanting to really study this in more detail and apply it Mm-hmm. you know, to something practical, um, because certainly he was saying things that other people weren't saying and making connections between all of these disparate theories. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I find is that people who study his work, to, you know, to do different things with it. Mm-hmm. So um, we have, you know, like on our faculty at the certification, it's the two qualifiers are that you've studied, but also that you work with patients, with humans on a day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis, because as you said, a lot of these people are academic. So it's one thing to have a theory that like, this is how it works, or you could win the Nobel prize in circadian rhythms, but what does it actually mean to get up with the sun every day and live on it, live on that system? So, and then other people like yourself have started to develop, um, products to enhance our health based on your understanding of, of how light works. So Tell us the next step. So we've gone through the biology, the pharmaceuticals, the nutrition, the neuroscience, (laughs) the quantum, the quantum um, work, which is super interesting. We probably do a whole podcast just on that. And and some, and you, but you came out of that and decided to focus on light. Explain how you, how you got to there and then how you got to Sarah Thrive. So initially when I was making these, uh, well, certainly the the last movie, I was very much interested in water science, actually. And um, I was looking at with um, 
a business partner maybe making a structured water product because the structured mm-hmm. water thing was so interesting. I'd gone to Pollock's lab. We were looking at how we could maybe implement some of those learnings. Um, but of course, my background then was neuroscience and I'm thinking, well, the brain is water. You know, so if we can have this effect mm-hmm. on structured water, can we not have this effect on the brain? And so I started looking at photobiomodulation, which is just the fancy name for light therapies, you know, or using mm-hmm. light on the body. Uh, and I realized that there was actually already a whole ton of research that was going on in that field of using photobiomodulation specifically for a brain application. Uh, not so much, you know, the water piece, but certainly it was there. And right. so so my next step really was to see if I could get involved in some of that research. And to your point, I wanted to go somewhere to actually see if it worked on real people. Right. So my next step from there was to get in contact with um, Dr. Marvin Berman, who's at the Quiet Mind Foundation in Philadelphia, who was studying trans transcranial photobiomodulation and ask if I could do some of the data collection on a big study that he was doing. Because my background is research, you know, and it's something that I could go and offer to help and do the data collection, help out with some of the analysis. So I went over to Philadelphia and was um, involved in a study looking at near-infrared light for Parkinson's disease. Mm. So it was a study that was going on under the direction of um, Baylor Scott and White, uh, Jason Huang, who was there at Texas University. And and it was really very interesting. You know, I did three months data collection of a double-blind placebo-controlled trial where we had sham helmets and real helmets, and we were doing gate analysis. We were doing reaction times. Mm-hmm. We were doing um, some blood biomarkers. And it became very apparent at the end of the three months who was getting the sham and who was getting the active because wow. people were changing. And, wow. and when I say they were, like, reversing their symptoms, it wasn't always that they were actually getting better you know sometimes these people were struggling because all of a sudden they were they were able to do things that they weren't able to do previously and it was a shock to them you know people had built up their their kind of coping mechanisms with Parkinson's and to have that taken away all of a sudden they can dress themselves all of a sudden they can do their own clothes all of a sudden they can get themselves to the car you know it was kind of an eye-opener because there was a bit of resistance there but certainly people were changing and so I thought, okay, this definitely is something very real, that just by having this helmet on where it was, that particular study was using um, 10.65 nanometer wavelength, so long wave near-infrared mm-hmm. light only, um, okay. and they were doing it three times a week. Um, That's yeah. it, just three times a week? They Not got a statistically day. significant effect on almost all the measurements that they did. Wow. Uh, which is a fairly, you know, it's a very intransient, difficult to treat illness, Parkinson's yes. disease. You know, there's no, no you know, that we don't have a pharmaceutical intervention at this time that really is effective. Yeah. Uh, and so I, and so from then I thought, okay, this is something that I'd like to kind of really investigate. And, and that's really where I've gone from then. The, the helmet that was used at the time was a really big helmet. It had tons of fans to try and right. keep it cool. It was really heavy. And I was like, well, I would like to use this and do some brain coaching, but I'd like it to be smaller and easier and kind of friendlier. Yes. And so I went to a few companies with the aim to develop a device like that. Um, and which is really how I've got to Sarah Thrive, because then I went to a group in uh, the Netherlands, the Light Tree Ventures, who I'm partnered with now. And and they said, yeah, OK, we can make that device with the caveat that you kind of if we make it, then we'd like you to kind of front that company and 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 get it out to people, because if it's needed, then we can do it. And, and so that's where I'm at. So we made this device, which is uh, a lot smaller, a lot mm-hmm. easier to use. It's battery operated. Right. You're not kind of connected to a plug, but it's it's the same power output more or less. So uh, okay. that was the goal. But I mean, I'm making it sound contrite, like oh, this, this, and this. But you know, th- there's quite a few years in between that, of looking course. at other things and developing stuff and going to work for different companies. But yeah, that was kind of loosely how it went from look from doing that that study with the Quiet Mind Foundation right. to kind of having a device that that enables people to have access to that technology but at home easily 
simply and and you know practically very easier that's so cool so the the device sort of wraps around the head and then there's a light the red light is pressed up against the skull is that yeah should i i've got one here meredith yeah let's see it so this so this is this is what this is the finished design that we've come up with and i'll put the lights on so you can see so you can oh, see cool. this is, yeah and then also this we have one for the back because you know there is some evidence mm. you know you can kind of get to the cerebellum there which of course controls motor function so you right. know there is some value for this although my main reason for having it in this design where it is kind of like um something that goes across the forehead is that hair is a barrier to light and and hair mm. you know it's quite difficult to get light through hair it's difficult to get light onto the brain anyway yes there's quite a few barriers with the cranium and there's a lot else going on kind of on your head to get light and certainly it's probably only about between two and three percent of the light that you shine that actually gets onto the surface of the brain anyway okay um even when it's pressed up against the skull or just is that worn with the okay well, especially when it's pressed up against the skull. If you've not, if you've not got it pressed up, it's yeah. probably even less okay. than that. It's, it's right. a small amount of light that actually penetrates through and gets onto the surface of the brain. However, it, it is enough to have a therapeutic effect. It seems that the yes. brain doesn't need to have a lot of light to kind yeah. of initiate that healing effect. Okay. So how did you decide what um, frequencies and intensity the light should be? Was it based on the research you did in Philadelphia or? It was, but certainly I became convinced of, of this longer wave light. But in my device, I'm kind of aiming for a multitude of targets because okay. our bodies are covered in light receptors. Yeah. There's all, there's all yeah. kinds of, of light receivers in the body. There's light receivers in the blood. There's light receivers in the mitochondria. You know, there's light receivers in a lot of areas of the body. So my goal was to maximize the chances of a therapeutic effect by targeting multiple light receivers so i have four wavelengths of light in this device okay um so the red light obviously is getting the the blood because because red light will penetrate even less even more superficially than an ear infrared but the red light will target the skin uh, and the light receivers in the blood and certainly you know in the in the skin around the head where all of that blood is going to get into the head sooner or later right and then the longer the wavelength of light the deeper it would penetrate into the body generally so like the 850 wavelength because it's a longer wave that will penetrate more deeply into the body generally uh, and we believe that's received by by the mitochondria by specific enzymes, cytochrome C oxidase. Although that's not the only theory of how this this light is being received. It's certainly the main theory right now is that cytochrome C oxidase is the main receiver of that 850 light. And then the longer wavelengths, they do have absorption peaks for cytochrome C oxidase, but also I'm thinking that water is possibly one of the major chromophores here. And this is where the kind of theory that, okay, maybe the structured water is having a therapeutic effect at these longer wavelengths. So mm-hmm. I'm targeting the blood, I'm targeting the mitochondria, I'm also targeting the water. And by yeah. using four distinct wavelengths, you are maximizing your chance of hitting a chromophore that's going to have a therapeutic effect. Right. I, I also, with this yeah. device I'm making, I, I've also got a pad that goes across the gut because the gut is a great target for photobiomodulation. It's a nice open area. You can usually access it well. Mm-hmm. You can hit a lot of blood. You can hit a lot of chromophores. You can hit free-floating mitochondria, which we know can now travel around the body and you know do their good work where it's needed. And the gut and the brain connection is also so important. Yeah. But for... Well, not only for chronic disease, which they're now finding, you know, more and more connections, but also just for general wellness to have this good communication between the gut and the brain. Yes. And I wonder how the study with the Parkinson's guys would have gone if, you know, if we'd have had a gut piece, because especially for right. Parkinson's, there's a huge gut component there. So I wonder if I can reach. So I also use a gut piece when I'm doing okay. the, when I'm doing the. Um, nice. The ha- with the headband, okay. 
I think this kind of helps to irradiate the body with a lot of light. And then with the band, you can target all of those different chromophores in the brain. And you can also do some modulation by pulsing the frequencies, which is kind of a, it's a slightly different therapy, actually, you know, brain entrainment or pulsing, mm-hmm. but you're stacking your hacks, if you like. You're kind of right. doing a lot with one, you're doing with a lot one with thing. one system. Yeah. So that's all one thing. So you put, you put it across your forehead, you put the other one on the back of your head, and then you put one on across the gut. Across the gut. Yeah. Okay. So just yesterday I was, um, I'm here in New Hampshire. I was on mm-hmm. the, on the beach by the lake, Chad, catching up with someone who I haven't seen since last summer. And her father has Parkinson's Mm -hmm. and it's early days. And last summer they wanted him to go on medication and he was resistant and he has since gone on it. Um, but now he needs, you know, anti-anxiety medication to counteract the Parkinson's medication. So how would you explain to someone like that? Who's got a family member who's, who's suffering and, the only clear path is is to go to the doctor and and get medication how i'm just maybe we could workshop it but like how would you explain to to that person like this device can actually really help your dad well first of all i will it's quite a bridge and i want to figure out how to cross it because we it could just help so many people it's quite a bridge. And I will just put a little disclaimer in that I'm not a medical doctor and that I yeah. technically would never advise anyone on a brain disease. And actually, with Absolutely. regards to all of these red light systems for a brain application, nobody has got an FDA approval yet for a brain health application. Mm-hmm. Even the device where I told you that they're yes. getting the studies they're now building up the research, you know, they're building up those clinical studies in order Mm -hmm. to present that, to possibly get um, the FDA to approve a brain health application. But at the moment, it's not granted to anyone. So nobody in this industry can actually say this red light therapy device could potentially cure, treat, diagnose, suppress anything, any kind of neurodegeneration. So you're technically not allowed to say that it might help with his Parkinson's. No. But if I'm just chatting with a friend on the beach. Yes. <laughs> if you were. Um, so I, I understand that. And that's a really important point to make. We don't want to cross any legal boundaries here. Um, but so, for example, like, I think it would be quite a natural thing for someone to say, oh, you know, I heard that such an eating following such and such a, a food re- regimen has yes. been shown to be helpful in this situation. People are like, oh yeah, maybe, you know, like people would have an idea that maybe doing some stuff to your diet could help with, yeah. with an with an illness, no matter what it is. Like that's mostly accepted. I think there's still people mm-hmm. who don't think so, but that's kind of a normal thing to say. But when it comes to light, people are just like, what are you talking, right? Like, like, what are you talking about? So even just in a casual, like, oh, to support your, you know, to support what's going on, like it might, yeah, do you know, it my, might be helpful. My in is always to get people to kind of think about our human evolution, and that we we have really only recently had artificial light, and before that, we were very much linked to the sun, you know, in the phases yeah. of the sun, and that we are diurnal mammals. You know, that means mm-hmm. we're mammals that are meant to be out in daytime, and we really, up until the dawn of of artificial light, we you know, we got up with the sun because that's when things became light. We So our bodies are covered in light receivers because that that's really how we respond. You know, we respond to the sun rising. That's it. That's the time for us to get up and start our day. In the middle of the day, we have certain frequencies of light that encourage our bodies for certain behaviors, you know, working, foraging, mating. And then as the sun goes down, you know, our bodies or getting ready for bed. And when it's dark, you know, up until recently, that was it. It'd be dark. You'd have to go to bed. There'd be nothing you could do. There'd be nothing to do. So really, so really, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that our bodies are so responsive to light and that light is so crucial for our health. And so I think if you can get people to understand, yeah, we've evolved under natural light, 
we're meant to be exposed to certain light frequencies at certain times of the day. We have times for healing and repair. You know, and those long waves of light, you know, when the sun is at certain points on the horizon, you get those long wavelengths of red light. Very important for the body. And if you're not getting them, and if you haven't got them for a while, then potentially, you know, you're going to have problems with the body. So then people maybe get the idea, okay, this is not such an alien thing to use yeah. light for healing. You know, it's actually a very natural thing. And and the sun contains all frequencies of light. These ones that we've got in these devices are sort of mimicking that sunrise, sunset frequency of light because yeah. they're in the long range. They're in the red and the near infrared range. I think once people can get their head around the fact that, yeah, it does make sense that our bodies should respond to light, then it's it's a little bit more of an easier sell to say, okay, well, this is a way to substitute those healing frequencies. You know, it's very simple. It's not anything that you wouldn't be exposed to if you were outside in the sun. Uh, you know, it's 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 yeah. just healing frequencies, right? And like I say, these devices, we've kind of shielded them all. So there's no more, there's no other kind of strange EMFs you're getting. You're just getting the healing light frequencies. Yeah. And it's simple. It's non-toxic. It's non-invasive. So you're, you know, it's, you're not going to be kind of doing anything that can potentially have a side effect. You know, like taking yes. a drug. Yes. And for most people, it's just like, well, you know, why not give it a try? It's something natural. It's something you can do. And actually, if you look at the data, people are having profound effects for these yeah. kind of neurodegenerative conditions. And for most people, you know, it's so scary to have a diagnosis like that, that doing something like this, which is fairly easy, I mean, you're just sitting still for 10 minutes with a light on you. It's it's a fairly easy thing to do. And why not, you know, why not give yeah. yourself the most chances that you can to heal from these conditions? I mean, obviously, with groups like yourself, where you can teach people other things that they can do around it, you know, such simple things like we were talking, grounding. Mm -hmm. seeing sunrise drinking good water eating good food you know integrating some of this technology people can make profound shifts yes and I think the cell is just to get people to understand yeah we are we really are just animals that have kind of taken ourselves out of our environment the more we can kind of put ourselves back there in that natural environment potentially the more benefit we can get from it and I think most people can get yeah. on board with that once they get that once That's true. Back, yeah. Please. Once you make that shift, yeah, it starts to make a little more sense. Yes. It's um, difficult for the brain thing because I think people can't understand how you could get light inside your skull. You right. know, most people think, okay, well, you know, and lots of people, even doctors have said that to me. Well, you know, it's very dark in there, but, but it's not at all. In fact, I went to a lecture recently, I think it was A4M. And they were saying, well, of course, it's very dark inside the skull. And I was thinking, well, it's not at all. You know, for a start, you're getting the light in through all the gaps in your skull. The skull is quite transparent to near infrared light. Also, you have biophotonic emission happening in the brain. Right. Possibly that's one of the big forms of communication in the brain. Yes. So it's a misconception, but I think that's why it's a bit of a difficult for people to get their head around. Um, right. But yeah, that's true. We have this link. idea of the skull is like a helmet yes. and inside is all dark, <laughs> but in fact, there's light coming through and light coming out because yes. we create our own light. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Okay. So uh how just just how do you recommend to somebody to use to use the Therathrive device? Does it depend sort of if they're using it just for general wellness or if they have if they have quite an advanced condition? Yeah, it does. How, how should yeah. we think about this? It does depend on what somebody's health goals are. And it also depends yeah. on where they're at in, on their health journey, because the kind of more dysfunctional your mitochondria are, the less light you need to have an effect. And there is something called the, the biphasic dose response where you need to kind of hit a sweet spot with light. So if you are very, very depleted, you may only need a little bit of light to kind of get your mitochondria going. We don't want them to be going so fast that they're producing so many waste products, you know, that your body can't cope with that. So, okay. so I do do a little bit of brain coaching. And certainly for these first devices, I'm going to be doing brain coaching to make sure that I've got the protocols correct mm -hmm. for, for what I'm putting out for a consumer product. But for most people who are of average health, to use a red light device like three or four times a week 
you know, depending on what you're trying to do. Like I say, the good thing about these kinds of devices is that you can pulse the light to have a, an additional effect. So, for example, we now know that 40 hertz is very good to help you kind of get into the zone and to focus and concentrate. So I, I'm i like hectic setting up this company, you know, sometimes you yeah. just need to get something done. I will use the 40 hertz pulsing cycle and, and the gut panel to kind of give my body the energy, but also to help my brain get into a certain state. And I will pair that with a task where I'm concentrating because there's a lot of evidence of neuroplasticity of pairing a task with brain stimulation. The same with meditation. If you want to get into a meditative state, there's evidence now that 100 hertz is really helpful for that. And most mm-hmm. of the studies actually being done on ultrasound, but um, I actually went to a lecturer where I asked the ultrasound guy, do you think this would work with pulsing photonic light? And so he's going to do a study, hopefully. <laughs> but also he's like, yeah, why not? I think it would because, you know, it's basically getting the the brain to entrain. So now I do right. that when I'm meditating, I use this 100 hertz pulsing schedule. Again, so could you set the, the pulsing brain. schedule on the device? Yeah. So it's got an app. Ah. So you set it, you you choose from six different functions, which I've mm-hmm. for now, you know, I've kind of put in the pulsing there. So if it says meditate, that's 100 hertz. So you might set right. it for meditate. So it is Bluetooth, but it's got a Bluetooth disable switch on the top. So you set it with Bluetooth and then you yeah. can turn all the Bluetooth off. So you're not getting any of that. So, yes, there are six different programs, you know, whether you want to chill, whether you want to sleep, whether you want to meditate, whether you want to focus. And then there's two programs, which is just getting just full on red light, which is just kind of like the healing, mm-hmm. the maximum healing and repair kind of function so it really depends what you're trying to do because i've been at a lot of the biohackers and of course the biohackers are all looking for something specific they want to meditate more they want to focus more right. they want to kind of up their game with performance yeah and then you've got the other group who are in uh, you know who are in a category where they're unwell and if you're going from a baseline to better you know you might just want to focus on your health and then and then you just want to do it regularly yeah. but for all of these like all of these different light products, it's kind of a cumulative effect. It's mm. almost like exercising. You know, if right. you exercise, your body will respond by making more muscle. And that builds up over time. The same with light. If you shine light onto the body, it will respond by making more mitochondria, making more light receivers. And then your health and whatever else you're trying to do will increase over time. So for almost right. all of these devices, the best thing to do is consistency. You know, do it. Yeah. Do it, you know, if you want to give it a good try, do it three or four times a week for three months and then yeah. kind of assess. It's not something where you can, you know, just do one session and then. Yes, yes. And this is a theme that has been coming up on many of the podcasts I've been doing lately, which is that, yeah, using, using a nature-based approach, using a light-based approach yes. is highly effective, but it is also takes longer than yes. perhaps some other kind of intervention but the upside is is that it's in it's increasing our our healthiness in all ways right as opposed to a drug which maybe would work faster although in some cases there aren't in a lot of chronic illness cases there isn't a drug but say there was there's often a trade off with the side yeah. effect whereas yeah, this there's no trade off right like it's just yeah, that's the brilliant it's, thing. I there's mean, no side these... effect, right? Like if we're wrong, oh, well, but there's no, it's not like, oh, sorry, you now are going to have seizures. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. You're kind of upping your general health at the same time as, as remedying perhaps a symptom. You know, something like pain relief, they've now tested, you know, these red light therapy devices for pain. And they found, you know, over the long term, they're just as good as opiates but without mm-hmm. the side effects, you know, and wow. yes. potentially you're preventing yourself from getting yeah. these neurodegenerative conditions at the same time. But yes, it is not an instant effect. So yeah. it's something. And again, and do. I was saying this on, you know, on the last podcast, we discussed this, discussed this. So you're also like another benefit is that we are sort of training ourselves to have some mental fortitude and patience yes. and discipline and take even if it we're doing it because we have no other choice to yes. take that slow, steady road of building back our health by doing things that are going to have an overall positive effect and cure the condition, or I won't say cure, and help 
yes, alleviate the pain right. that we're in from our symptoms. For sure. It definitely takes a little bit of perseverance and a bit of dedication, which is why I've made these devices to kind of be as easy as possible. Yes. You know, like this device is designed to be strapped around, but I quite often, you know, I'm in my yoga outfit, just stick it down in the front of my yoga shorts while I'm doing something, put the headband on. And then you know that you've done it for the day, you know, just cut out the things that kind of make it difficult. You know, if you've got to plug Mm -hmm. something, then, you know, you've got to sit in a certain corner for the day, all these little things where potential blocks, because you're right down to consistency and routine. And the more we can have simple hacks, you know, routines for going outside every morning and looking at the sunrise or standing on the grass or doing these things, the more Mm -hmm. consistently we will do it. But when you start seeing results, then it becomes easier. It's true. That is the great motivator. (laughs) And even, uh, even if you've been in the, like down in the trenches of a, of, of a symptoms that haven't Mm -hmm. budged, even a small improvement feels really exciting. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Like, like I have, for me, it was chronic fatigue. So I was like, oh, I just got through the day without lying down on the floor. (laughs) which I would used to have to do periodically, just let my body get some energy until I felt like I had enough energy to get up. Again. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and now, you know, I can like have a normal day and, and not think about it, but it, yeah, it takes time. It takes time um, and things like that, you know, having some way of monitoring how you're doing, like, you know, I know everybody in the biohacker world has an aura ring and I wear an aura yeah. ring, but I mean, there are lots of ways like you say, to kind of monitor what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Someone sent me recently, I've just got to unpack it and get on it. Like a, just a little thing that does your reaction times that you can set up to do a couple of minutes a day, yeah. which is totally linked to how your brain is performing. You know, so that's something mm. I might integrate into brain coaching because sometimes, yeah. you know, especially if you if you haven't got symptoms, you, you want to know that it's doing something. So for me, yes. it's been great to see my HRV scores going up. It's great mm-hmm. to see the sleep scores improving. Mm-hmm. With, certainly with red light, there've been some really interesting studies on glymphatic drainage. So oh, this is how your bl- yeah. brain flushes. And um, if you look at the aura ring, you can kind of see when people have been doing red light for a while that you have going in and out of deep sleep more often. And and mm. uh, I was speaking to Dr. Joe DiGiro and he and he and I are kind of thinking that's probably the brain flushing, you know, so. Mm, interesting. Then, of course, like you say, it gives you a bit of extra motivation to keep going when you can see yeah. these improvements, yeah. especially if you are looking to prevent illness, you know, you need yes. to. Yeah, that reaction time one sounds amazing because, yeah, if yeah. you are in good health and you want it and you're looking to improve performance, what metric are you using? Yeah. So that could be a great one. And yeah, and also brings up the idea that if it is a good idea to track in some way where yeah. how your symptoms are at, like rate, ranking them out of 10 or whatever. So you can see, because mm-hmm. I find that too, like with these, with these gentler approaches, the the changes are gentler as well. Yes. So sometimes we don't notice them. So tracking consistent time, doing it over time. And then would you say there's a time of day, like, would it be counterproductive to do this at like 11 o'clock at night? Are we putting ourselves, would we be putting ourselves out of circadian regulation by putting the light on ourselves? Well, they are red light. They are red light. So, you know, it's not, it's not like you're kind of really giving yourself a bright blue light. However, you know, they are bright lights. This is, these devices are fairly high dose. So, I recommend to people to use them within the hours of sunrise and sunset. Well, Sarah, I just want to say that I think it's really a huge contribution that you've made this device. And and it's one of those things. I love interviewing people because you hear their unique trajectory, right? And they have that moment where all the different threads of their life come together to do something really amazing. And I feel like that's what's happening with you in this product. And I'm really... So thank you for doing it. Cause I know starting a business is no easy task. No. It's <laughs> like 8 million moving parts at any given moment. That's um, right. Thank you. Mary. So, and it's great. It's great to have the support of people like you and the quantum biology collective, because then you feel like you're, you know, that you're on the right track. I think that's the important yeah. thing. Otherwise you kind of think, you know, it's, 
is this right? Am I, you know, am I doing the right thing? But then when you have, you know, like people like you and all your lovely guests, you know, you can, oh, okay, this, I can kind of fit this into what other people are saying and it makes sense. So that's hugely supportive. Good. Wonderful. And um, yeah, I'm I'm just so glad you're doing it. And as part of, as part of your, your entrepreneurial journey, you've been going Mm -hmm. to a lot of conferences and a lot of events. So could you just sort of um, give us an overview? Like, what are people talking about? What What's it like out there? I, I tend to stay pretty uh, closed in my little community. So I yeah. don't always pay attention to the, to the big trends. Well, it's interesting because in a very short space of time, I've been to the Science of Consciousness Conference, the Health mm-hmm. Optimization Summit, and Dave Asprey's Biohacking Conference. And actually, okay. they were very, very different in what people are talking about I think interestingly for the for the science of consciousness conference people are starting to look more at different kinds of physics um Mm. because at the moment you know we have this struggle with quantum physics in that you have classical physics and then you Mm -hmm. have quantum physics and we don't seem to be able to work out where they meet, you know, there must be a point at somewhere where classical physics turns into quantum physics but people are struggling to kind of make that connection right. at the moment. We just say, well, this physics works for the very, very small. Yeah. And this physics works <laughs> sure. in the real well, world. Well, it's just kind of this, yeah. And now we've thrown biology in there. Yeah, with- and now we've thrown quantum <laughs> biology in there. And Thanks to like, Khalili oh. and McFadden. <laughs> it's like this whole- quantum, yeah. And actually, um, Jim Al Khalili was talking at the Science of Consciousness event oh, cool. about DNA. But again, he was like, well, this is what we think happens at the, you know, at DNA level. We have this quantum mm-hmm. tunneling, but how this you know, taking that up into the world of proteins and cells and bodies, we can't, you know, we it's a jump. Yes. And so the interesting thing there is people to, are starting to bring in other ways of understanding the world and physics. And certainly people from more the East, like India, mm-hmm. are bringing in like um, in Sanskrit and in more Eastern Indian style philosophies, they have a different way of looking at physics, which is more holistic maybe. Uh, and that was very interesting. I mean, I can't pretend that I understand a lot about yeah. it as yet, but it's certainly yeah. where I'm putting some of my energy to try yeah. and understand how we could maybe understand some of these concepts in a different framework that's not yes. so much kind of like the classical Western physics that's based yes. on mathematics that's difficult to understand. The physics of the East is more to do with kind of geometry and mm. and building up physics from that point and it it gives you maybe an easier way to go from this the world of the very very small up to more macro level so for me that was the biggest takeaway from the science of consciousness event was yeah. okay we need to start looking at things in a different way and they were kind of looking at things like ai you know how i ai has mm-hmm. taken off and will that ever become sentient and they, you know because it is based on this very linear way of looking at physics, you know, perhaps it won't, but perhaps if we could start to look at technology on this different framework, we might get to a different endpoint. Yes. So that was very cool. And then I went straight Super to London. Cool. And London is 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 actually very conservative still, I would say. Okay. Uh, but but a lot of people there were fairly interested in in the light therapy, but from a very much from a symptom-based approach okay a lot of cold therapy interestingly enough in London where you would think they'd have enough of that yeah (laughs) living uh, there is cold therapy living do you know what all these people who are into cold (laughs) and I do it when I go to I have have a wonderful friend Christine Whitesall who does training in Austin but I sometimes think oh come to London and do that in December and see how (laughs) enthusiastic you are because it's not the same no Um, but anyway, yeah, just personally, I, I cannot, if it's cold out, I can't, my body will not tolerate cold therapy. I have to be in a, in the summer or in a warm climate. Even but when, yeah, the, even if I the can. sun was shining and it's cold, it kind of makes a difference. You know, right. your environment mm-hmm. definitely affects, you know, which of these biohacks I think are more appealing. I mean, yes. And the total of the environment, I went to New York the last week and I was at a Turkish bath where they had the cold plunge and the mm-hmm. sauna and everything. And that was fabulous, but it's yes. kind of a different environment. You know, yes. you're, you're in it and, you know, all these Russian ladies getting you down in there. It's kind of, <laughs> you know, you need, yeah. kind of need the context. Yeah. So and then you go into the hot one and then you go into the yeah. cold one. Yeah. 
that was great. Yeah. But yeah, so that was interesting that that seemed to be a big theme actually in London mm. uh, was the cold. And I think perhaps it's something that because a lot of biohackers are used to the cold therapy, but maybe, yes. you know, over in Europe, it's more of a concept that's just coming in. I see. So there, there is more of a focus on the cold therapy than the light therapy, would you say, in that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, James Carroll was there with his Thor bed and he's 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 also very conservative and rightly so. You know, he really yeah. wants to legitimize red light therapy. So he yes. kind of adds a seriousness to red light therapy, um, which is great. But, you know, it kind of went with the London theme because it is mm-hmm. a little bit more conventional and serious. And yes. So that was good. He did a good talk on light therapy and, you know, he's obviously always trying to get it legitimized and standardized. Yeah. Yeah. So that was There's a a ton of research. We had someone send us their file on, on the photobiomodulation published research. And it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of. Oh yeah. There's over 3,000. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Vladimir with, with his three, with this Excel database? Uh, no, it was, uh, I forget the biolite guy. Okay. Mike. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike. I don't want to murder his second name. <laughs> Belowski, yeah. I think it is. Yes. Uh, yes. He's great. Yeah. He does he's great got stuff a data, he had a database and I was just, uh, surprised at how much research yeah. there was because I'd seen bits and pieces, but I hadn't seen it all put together in one place. Yes. So it's, it, so the, see, that's interesting to me, right? Like there's, 3,000 published, 3,000 yes. plus published things. And yet you still have people sort of fighting for the legitimate legitimacy of it. Yes. Well, the funding that's available for this kind of therapy compared to the funding that's available for pharmaceuticals is is, is so wildly right. out of proportion that, you know, yeah. that's just where we're at. That, that's, right. And also, yes. you know, the bodies that are regulating these things are also, you know, mainly controlled by the pharmaceutical company. And that's not conspiracy. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's just where we're at right now. Yeah. So I think it's going to take a while to to maybe overcome some of those boundaries. Yeah. It's just a it's just a totally different world with regarding yeah. the funding. That's yeah. so true. And I mean, and that's how why this podcast the podcast and what our certification came to be because it was like all of the research is there. This is clear. Like it, this isn't guesswork. It's but it doesn't seem to be make to make a difference in terms yes. of what people were being taught in medical school or naturopathic college or whatever. Um, so it takes people like you or, you know, like what, and what we're doing is say, okay, like we need, we need ways to implement this right now. We're not going to yes. wait for these institutions to. People need to take self-responsibility change. in this time, yeah. I think is the underlying message. Because, you know, there is a lot of stuff out there if you do your own research where you can find amazing research that's being done. It's just not mainstream as yet. But, you know, people finding quantum biology collective or people, you know, even like rebel scientists, we're trying to put out. You can take sovereignty of your own health. You know, it's freely available. Everyone has access to the Internet. You can find PubMed. You can kind of, you know, even a very brief research of PubMed you just have to put in photobiomodulation and whatever you want to search for and a lot of things will come up so I think yeah we're just at that time in history where people have got access to this information and really need to use it yeah and so we're and then as individuals we're at that turning point where we we need to shift our shift our trust from the institutions into our own sovereign selves and our ability to use our judgment and our discernment to connect with good information that that's going to help us. And yeah. Not and, hurt us. and become our own experiment. Yeah. You know, I know that's Jack Cruz's thing, this N equals one, but it's so true. You know, you need to, to try these things for yourself and see what works because that's the ultimate scientist is that you, you know, observation and yes. measurement that that's, yeah. that's what science is. So, you know, if you're wondering whether you would feel hugely different if you saw the sunrise, well, then do it for a month and track something and see how you feel afterwards. You know, I think it's I think people are, are kind of still in this mode where they're, you know, a little bit you need to be told something by an authority. But I do think mm-hmm. that's sort of phasing out. Maybe, yeah. you know, the whole COVID years have taught us you've really got to take yeah. your own advice on a lot of things. 
Yeah, I think that probably opened yeah. a lot of minds. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it opened mine even more. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I think there was one more conference you were going to tell us. Oh about. yes, Dave Asprey's conference, which I, I must admit I had a booth and I was totally snowed in in that conference, so I can't profess that I really saw much of what was going on. Um, but certainly, you know, the stacking hacks was the thing. You know, I saw this crazy okay. light bed where it also has PMF, it also had sacred geometry symbols, it also had a grounding pad underneath and some kind of noble gas chamber that you could hold that would have a create a field around you. You know, so I think I'm not sure that I saw anything that was hugely new, but I think people are just finding new ways to present Mm -hmm. these technologies and kind of make them a bit more high tech. Yeah. We're just improving on a theme now, I think is what's going on interesting because you know it was a lot of the same companies are there they're just trying to up their game with their offerings and and obviously that event is where you have kind of the more interesting presentations of what's going on but it's very cool it was very well attended and I said to my friends in New York oh I just went to Dave Asprey there was thousands of people there and they're like well that's incredible because for most conferences you know the attendance is going down 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 but for these uh, biohacking events, they do seem to be very well attended to still. Interesting. And it's certainly at my yeah. booth, there were people asking all kinds of questions. I mean, we were rampacked the whole time. We had people wow. on the chairs waiting to try it. We had people queuing up. You know, people are very interested and engaged. So that was great right. for that event. And so who's at the conferences? Like, were these people who, who were there for their own health? Like, yeah, they wanted to to learn to learn more in order to help themselves yeah and a lot of um integrative practitioners were there right um because I think they're looking for things that they can bring to their patients because again that's a difference between the states and England obviously we don't have that we don't have uh, medical doctors that are allowed to do anything outside of the NHS so much Mm. there are some private doctors but it doesn't go over well in a country where everything's free free I'm saying free in brackets because <laughs> right. obviously there's always a cost down the line but yeah. uh it's a uh, people are not into really seeking out private medical care yeah but in the states you have a lot of integrated functional medicine mm-hmm. doctors com- complementary doctors or people that are just therapists that are looking to integrate other things into their clinics right. so there was a lot of those kinds of people there and a lot of people starting biohacking centers Oh, really? Yeah. So like you would go and stay there for a few days and. So no, I think just like um, a gym, but with red light, with Uh, um, cryo, with IVs. Wow. And maybe even some of the wellness centers, you know, normal orthodox gyms that are looking to bring in Mm -hmm. these wellness things. And especially, you know, even places where it's mainly aesthetics, you know, people are mainly going there for Mm anti-aging. Now people are beginning to realize that actually anti-aging also depends on what you're like inside. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're ill, you're not going to look great. So I think a lot of these clinics where they focus on anti-aging and longevity Mm -hmm. are now very much looking at what we would call biohacking, which is now kind of bracketed as as anti-aging longevity therapies in some cases. Because, of course, if you want to age well and look good as you age, you also need to, to be physically well. It's no yes. good just kind of changing the collagen on your face. You also need to. Yeah. Your cells need to be functioning. Yes, so I to have that inner light. Yeah. So I've spoke to a lot of people who are mainly focused on aesthetics, who are mm-hmm. interested in something like the serothrive system because they understand, you know, you don't just want to yeah. look pretty on the outside you have to have a functioning brain to age well so that, so that was yeah. great you know speaking Absolutely. to those kinds of people they're right. like yeah, we should have this in our clinic because people get it now people understand more about the health aspect of looking good yeah which to me is great I mean like I say I, I was never so much yeah. into the whole cosmetic thing but if it's an in for people to understand that they need to age well from a physical point of view that's great yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all come in through a different door. Yeah. Different doors of healing and yeah, wanting to look a little younger than we are is a <laughs> that's totally legitimate door. It's, <laughs> you follow it if you follow it all the way through. Yeah. Um, Sarah, is there anything else that you want to add or any last thoughts that you have to share? 
This has been just such a fun conversation. Yeah, no, I think we, I think we did a lot, Meredith. We did, we covered a lot of ground. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much. And, and also thanks again for, for what you do and for creating this product. And um, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Thank you, Meredith. Thanks for mustering up the energy and courage to start a business and make this all happen. Yes. Yes. Fingers crossed that all goes well. It's been a bumpy ride, but yeah, I think I'm on the homeward straight. So thank you. Woohoo! <laughs> this has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.